So listen, I, I, before I get started, I wanted to, to take a moment and uh, introduce you to somebody, uh, but I can only do it via the screen this morning, and her name is Isla Renee. So she's, uh, <clears throat> yep. We actually had twins. She's uh, three weeks and two days old, and next week, uh, Casey will bring her to service, and we'll really get to do- introduce you to her. My mom will be here with us, and I encourage all of you to bring uh, Anti back. If you don't know what that is, then you're not allowed to touch her. But uh, I can tell you this. I know now, after having my first child, why all of you have so many kids. It's so fun. It's an amazing journey. I also know why you're so tired all the time. I know why when I speak to you in the hallway, you have dark circles under your eyes and you kind of mumble. I get it now. I know why. You're like, well, I don't know, mumble. Yeah, you do. You do. If you have more than three kids, you mumble when you talk. Your brain is on autopilot. It's the way it goes. It's happening to me. So you have to forgive me in advance if I make a million baby references today or anytime I speak in the next five years. I'm just asking for that forgiveness in advance. And, uh, you know, if I involuntarily start cooing at you, it's just happening. Wayne, you're so cute, Wayne. <laughs> smile, smile. They can't smile. They're two days old. If you catch a smile, it's because they had gas. <laughs> so I'm going to speak to you today about the Lord's Prayer, but I hope that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And so I'm going to encourage you to get out a pen, to write down on the worship guide, uh, maybe... Uh, Pull out the smartphone app if you have a smartphone and follow along on the notes there. But I believe that the Holy Spirit's already speaking and that if you'll be proactive with the way you listen, that he'll really touch you. He'll really say something to you specifically. And uh, so since we're studying the Lord's Prayer, we call it Conversations with God. I thought it fitting that we pray as we get started. Is that okay? But what we're going to do is something a little bit different. It'll be foreign to most of us. I want us to pray by listening to a prayer. And by listening to a prayer, what I found this week while I was studying is the Lord's Prayer via Latin. And it's in Latin. It's also via Gregorian chant, right? So this, this is a, a, a melodic song that really has a root in the church about 600 A.D., and there's, there's a lot of people that think it's kind of spooky and kind of eerie to listen to, to chant, but it's the root, the base of everything that we did here this morning in song. It was music before we had noted melodies. And so this is a Gregorian chant of the Lord's Prayer. I want you to listen with reverence this morning, can you? If you need to sit up, if you want to uh, fold your hands in your lap, if you want to bow your heads in your hearts, but, but this will kind of be our opening prayer. I want us to listen to this, the Lord's Prayer via Latin Thank you. 
Kind of cool, huh? To listen to that in Latin. I know it, it can feel kind of odd. Like, I don't even know what they're saying. Well, if you want to follow along this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where the Lord's Prayer is at. It's also in Luke 11. It's much shorter there. But in Matthew chapter 6, six starting in verse 9, it's where it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but I want you to follow along. We're, we're in a series where we're breaking this down piece by piece. And so I'm on the next phrase. Pastor Ross covered last week, our Father in heaven. And now I'm going to cover, hallowed be your name. So if I could title the message this morning, it would be that, hallowed be your name. Before I move forward into that, I think we should reach back because this prayer is connected. There's there's a system, there's a priority to what Jesus is teaching us. And uh, as I make my first point, I'm actually going to kind of rehearse a little bit of what Pastor Ross talked to us about last week, and it's this. Number one, knowing identity is essential to prayer, our Father in heaven. Ross spoke to us about this, and he did such a great job. It, It really spoke to me, being a new dad, to see that my identity is wrapped up in God the Father, Abba, it's Aramaic for daddy, papa. I was in a prayer meeting a, a few months ago, and a young lady was there praying, and, and so we were kind of going around the circle, and she started her prayer that way. She said, Daddy, I just want to come to you and thank you for... It was really a, a, an eye-opening moment for me to think, oh, yeah, that's right. I come with this Lord all the time. Lord, I just pray that... Daddy. And we respond to him that way. Ross pointed out that many of us don't have great relationships with our earthly fathers, so it's hard to see us being children of God is this thing that is kind of perfect, right? That it has no flaws. But he told us that the Bible tells us as the children of God that we are heirs with Christ. And that as heirs with Christ, we have access to all that is in him, the perfect father. I kind of have taken a pessimistic view of that and I think, I don't know if that's even true. You know, I know my shortcomings. I know my flaws. I know my issues and and really god the father wants to bestow all of his gifts everything that he has on me that i'm i'm in his eyes parallel with his son christ every time i hold my baby girl now i can't help but think about her identity i want to give her the world right you want to provide for her every need and then slowly and methodically I will realize like those of you that have parents that are parents of teenagers that you can't provide for their every need you just have to try and so I come to this realization that I have an influence on her right but that ultimately her identity is going to be something that she comes into it's going to be something that she develops you know I be I refuse now to begin to imagine her going off to college or going on her first date in that order, that exact order. (laughs) But the reality is that she is already slowly taking on her own identity. It's God's design. It won't be long before she has an opinion about everything. Everything. Amen, right? You have no idea, Marty, what you're in Casey and I can already see it just unfolding in her in three weeks. But I also know that what else is unfolding is her identity. 
but it won't go without my influence on her. Think about that. It won't go without Casey's influence on her. It won't go without, let's be honest, without your influence on her. You know you are her extended family. This is why you need to bring Anna back next week to service. Here's a thought for you. Whose you are directly impacts who you become. Think about that. Whose you are directly impacts who you become. This is what makes prayer so powerful. The more time that we spend with God, what happens? The more we begin to, be mim- we, the more we begin to mimic him, right? The more we begin to take on his character. The more we begin to see that he influences the shaping of our identity. I can't imagine life with God. I cannot imagine that. Can you? Can you imagine life without God the Father? Where would you turn when nobody else is around, when nobody's answering their phone, when nobody's returning your text, your cry for help? And so I did what any rational person would do. I Googled it. I wanted to know, where do people go when they don't know God? I Googled, do atheists pray? And you're going to be fascinated to hear what I found. I'm going to read it to you. It was at the top of the Google search. It was one such blogger, we'll call him, and he was writing a blog about prayer, and listen to what he said. He said, though I am an atheist, one religious practice I embrace wholeheartedly is prayer. Prayer can mean many different things to many different people, but I'm talking about the personal dialogue with God variety. And he says this, he says, So how does this fit with atheism? If I pray, who or what am I praying to? Do I have a massive tolerance for cognitive dissonance? He says, no, I consider my practice of prayer to be consistent with my rational atheistic belief system. Nothing spooky or supernatural about it, he says. He goes on to say that he prays to, quote, unlock the untapped capacity of his subconscious. That's why he prays. At one point in his blog, he actually admits that he indeed does get new and bright ideas when he prays. Hmm, imagine that. (laughs) He says he also finds that praying somehow helps him avoid the feelings of loneliness that so many atheists fall victim to. This is an amazing thought. This is at the top of the search. If an atheist goes on to Google and says, should I pray, this guy's blog is going to come up. And I think it's awesome. Because how many of you would agree with me that this guy probably found God or is on his way to finding God? This strange suspicion is in my heart that he just keeps asking God on a blind date over and over and over again. (laughs) Hmm, I get new ideas every time I do this and I don't feel alone. That's amazing. Our identity is essential to prayer. Our identity, it's essential to life. This is why Jesus put it first, right? First, this is how you should pray, he said, our Father in heaven. And then point number two, hallowed be your name. Establishing priority is essential to prayer. Establishing priority is essential to prayer. We're going to spend the rest of our time here talking about this point. And I'm going to talk about it being essential to prayer and about it being essential to worship here in just a moment. Hallowed be your name. It's the second phrase. After we've established our identity, We have to establish our priority. The word hallowed definitely has very little or no 21st century connotation, right? I don't use the word hallow. The only time I hear it is when somebody's got a weird accent 
And they say, hello, mate. I don't know. That's the weirdest accent I've ever just ever done in my whole life. But we don't use that word. But do you know what it means in Scripture? This is the exact interpretation. It's sanctified. Hallowed be your name is sanctified be your name. It's not sanctified in the sense of the way he sanctifies us. Sanctified in the way he sanctifies us is to purify or to clean. But the sanctified in this scripture means to be set apart, consecrated, to be made holy. Jesus is essentially praying, our Father in heaven, above you there is no other. You are holy. You are set apart, hallowed, honored, respected, glorified be your name. Jesus is teaching us to rightfully esteem who God is. I'll say that again. Jesus is teaching us to rightfully esteem who God is. Another kind of odd word for us there, esteem. God, we esteem him? It's kind of a play on words is the way, the way I, I put it up there is because it raises some questions in my mind about what it means to hallow him. You know, I ask myself, does God have low self-esteem with some sort of need to feel better about himself? Why do I, why do we have to remind him over and over of his greatness? It seems crazy, right, to ask those questions? But, you know, we sing songs, just like we did this morning as Nate was leading us. Songs about exalting God, about lifting his name up. Your name is a strong tower, we sing. And if you don't get this imagery right, if your view of it is wrong, then you think that you're reminding God that he's a strong tower. But it's not about that. It's about us. I was asked just the other week, what does it mean to bless the Lord? So ask yourself that question. Do you know? What does it mean to bless the Lord? This young lady that was asking me was following a worship service where we were singing um, Matt Redmond's song, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? We love that song here, and it's kind of an anthem for us right now. But as we sing it, why do we sing it? What is it that we're trying to do? Are we trying to make God feel better about himself? Or can I suggest that when we sing Bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's about us, not him. It's about aligning our hearts with his. It's about encouraging our souls to trust in his perfect will. It makes him bigger, not literally, but in our vision, and us smaller. Right? Look at Matthew 6, verse 31 through 33. It says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father, okay, pay attention. This is Matthew 6, right? This is just a few verses following the Lord's Prayer in which we're studying. Jesus is pointing at our Father once again, knowing our identity. He says our Father already knows our needs. And then it says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And then what? He will give you everything you need. How do, we know, how do we know that scripture mainly? We know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? Jesus is teaching us the rightful order to our prayers. He is teaching us about priority. He wasn't calling our attention to some sort of twisted desire that God has for us to remind him of his greatness. Go on, bless me. Come on, tell me I'm awesome. Oh, that feels really nice. This is not the God we serve. 
He holds the world in the palm of his hand. Do you think he needs my praise? No. He welcomes it. He beckons it. He longs for it. But what does the Bible say about praise? If he doesn't get us from us, he'll get it from the rocks. When we hallow his name, we put God at the center of everything. And when we put God at the center of everything, it all makes sense. All the rest of that stuff. Right? If you're struggling with that, you're struggling with engaging in your relationship with God, hallow his name. Find yourself connected to the name of God. You know, at any given moment, our anxieties and worries can overbear us. They seem so pressing and urgent in the moment, but hallowed be your name, and all of a sudden, it begins to change. He begins to work things out even before we ask him to. Remember, in the sense of vision, when we hallow his name, he becomes so big, and we become so small. That's why these worship experiences that we have are so amazing because there's like a vacuum that happens when the presence of God really starts to overtake you. You start to care less about all of the needs that you thought you had and he starts to meet them. He starts to comfort you, to bring peace into your world. So this is why when I pray, I try to remember the order. I say, my father in heaven, I'm gonna start saying, daddy, before I ask anything of you, before I make known my request, before I make this thing about me and all the stuff I need, I worship you, God. I honor you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hallowed, honored, respected, adored, revered be your name. You know, there's a slew of good stuff we could go into about his name. We could cover all the Jehovah's and we would see this grand picture of who God is. But for the sake of time, I hope to capture it in a simple story. And I'm going to tell you that story about baby Isla Renee. It's because that's all that's been in my mind all week long. I've been trying to sneak away to study, and then I hear her little whimper and cry, and I'm like, I can't study. I got to go spend time with her. But if you turn to Proverbs 18, I'm only going to read one verse there. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Verse 10. It was the day we got home from the hospital. I'd really never experienced anything like that, moving from the hospital and transitioning to my house. It was like re-entering Earth or something. <laughs> I felt like, oh, this is what it feels like to be an astronaut and like go out of, you know, orbit and come back in. And, you know, I, I came outside and I got in the car. It was like I'd never driven my car before in my whole life, ever. It's like learning all over again. Like, that lady is so close to me. Don't you know I got a two your two-day-old baby behind us, like, move over, go on. 40 miles an hour on the highway. <laughs> got a protector. But then we got home, and, and I had this, like, childish notion to, to go through a bunch of firsts with her, right? Not that she'd ever remember them, but it was fun for me. So it was kind of like, you know, when you get married, and you, you take your bride, and you carry her through the threshold, right, of the home. It's like, first time together in the house, you know. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a hopeless. I'm a hopeless romantic, a total sap, and so this is what I did. I took my daughter, and I said, first time into the house, baby Isla. Smile. And then first time up the stairs, and first time in her room. No joke. First time turning on the light switch, and I took her little paw, and I pushed the light switch. 
Now she's turning them off and on all the time. It's amazing. I don't know what's going on. It's like first time watching TV. And then I looked her right in the eyes and said, this is the last time you're ever going to watch TV too. This is it. No more of that for you. But then I had a revelation. I realized that she'd never been in the sunlight, ever. We had taken her out of the hospital, but under the overhang and put her in the car, and she had this covering even then. And so I said, I'm going to take her out back, and I'm going to put her in the sun. And so I took her out back. She's like two days old. And I go outside in the 155-degree weather, <laughs> and I'm under the overhang in the backyard. And I, the sun is obviously beaming down. We're in central Texas. And so I kind of slowly move her body out into the light. And you should have seen what happened. She like tensed up, crazy tensed up, and her face got all distorted like some kind of crazy person. You know how little infants do, right? Their face, they're like, whoa, how do you do that with your face? It's all elastic and stuff. And she didn't know what to do. She's like, like this is so hot. What is going on in my world? And then instead of pulling her back in under the overhang to kind of protect her from the rays. You know what I did? If the sun's coming down here, I decided that I would just position my body between her and the light. And I gave her shade. I didn't do much about the heat, but I gave her some shade. This is like the name of the Lord. It's the best picture that I could get this week, that the righteous run to it and are safe. She can't run yet, but it's the word picture. A similar one is Psalm 17, verse 6 through 8. It says, I'm praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. This is the psalmist crying out. Bend down and listen as I pray. Show me your unfailing love in wonderful ways. By your mighty power, you rescue those who seek refuge from their enemies. And here it is in verse 8. Guard me as you would guard your own eyes. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. The name of the Lord, it's a strong tower. The righteous, they run to it and are safe. He is the God who hides us in the shadow of his wings. We sang it this morning. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Such a good image. So this is why, number three, establishing priority is essential to worship. Hallowed be your name. I thought about changing my point here and, and bringing something new to the horizon, but really, this is where I was. It's not enough just to establish priority in our prayer life if we don't establish it also in our worship. I know that Brent spoke a few weeks back on Family Sunday about worship and how our actions need to line up with the things that we sing. And so I wrestled this week whether I should even go here because it's kind of like the worship guy going into the worship world to communicate and and I felt like the Lord said, you need to do this. And so he didn't have to twist my arm much. I love to worship. I love to worship God. And so I've been leading worship for 14 plus years now, since 1998. And I want to take just a moment here with you. So everybody pay attention. If One Chapel's your home church, I want to honor you. I want to honor you for the way you worship God. I've never been in a community that is full of more people that have uninhibited response to God. You come here with such anticipation. I don't feel like we have to draw it out of you. I don't feel like we have to go to a place where, you know, it's kind of humanness comes over us and we feel like we're kind of tugging people along. But when we come together and we worship, 
you engage with God, and it's inspiring to me. It would be really self-indulgent for me to go here and say this had I led the songs also in the same morning or on the same day. But as I'm speaking here to you, I want you to know that I respect you for the way you worship God. I know we're committed to worship with hearts wide open. But I want you to consider a question, okay? One Chapel family, I want you to consider this question. What does the future of our worship look like? Think of that. Think about that for a moment. Is this something we can even cast vision for? I'm asking you, is this something we can cast vision for as a body? About the future of our worship? No matter how grateful I am for the present, I want us to think about our future as a church, as a community that new people will ultimately come into. The way I see it, as my relationship with God grows, listen, as my relationship with God grows, so should the way I worship Him. So I'm leading on a regular Sunday, and I'm always cautious not to assume who's really getting it or not. It's really not me, for me to judge, right? I mean, it's an awkward position to be in. But if I'm leading people somewhere and trying to, to guide, there is kind of this, this constant tear that's happening in me, to be very honest with you, because I really want you to get it. I want you to understand what it means to hallow his name when we worship. But I know that there is wrestling going on in your mind, in your heart, in your affections, in my mind, in my heart, in my affections every week. We come here with so many burdens, right? What I hope for when we come together is that when we pursue God, we don't become absorbed by self. Because here's the truth. Self-absorption leads to self-destruction. Self-absorption leads to self-destruction. I want you to go with me for a moment, can we? I want you to think about your worship. I want you to take a bird's eye view of your experience here on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. So you're in your chair, you're standing. You've got your hands raised and your eyes to the sky. And then just as any human would do, along come a bunch of petty thoughts, right? A bunch of petty things start passing through your mind, right? You're singing, oh, 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 my word. <laughs> Who is that dude singing behind me? Man, that guy's loud. Easy, megaphone man, and you're just kind of trying to see who it is. And while you're looking back to see who it is, you see some lady's hair over in the distance, like three feet off her head. You're like, that lady's got a real big hairdo. And then you're over here with your hand raised, and you start smelling something funky, and you wonder, you wonder if it's your armpits. And you realize it's not your armpits. So it might be like the guy's armpits next to you. Then you realize, oh, no, it's not him either. It's my breath. My breath is really stank today. Must be the coffee. Then you're like, I need more coffee. I think I need more coffee. You're like, will this song ever end? <laughs> Self-absorption leads to self-destruction. Or how about much deeper and darker thoughts? Ever had those? Not led around by petty ones, but by paralyzing thoughts. Guilt, condemnation. We don't arrive at this place willingly, but somehow all too often, 
You know what it starts with? It starts with isolation. If the devil can make you feel like you're the only one, you're stuck. So can we go again? Go with me for a moment. You're here on a Sunday morning. You're worshiping. You've got your hand raised, eyes to the sky. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, man, my voice is bad. I hate my voice. can't stand it. People tell me all the time I can't sing. Look at that guy over there. He's crying right now. How in the world is he crying? I want to cry. I want to cry too. How come I can't cry? What's going on? Am I, I got something wrong with me? Jesus, do I even know you? Man, that lady over there, she's dancing. I want to dance like that. Got the wrong shoes on. <laughs> if I start dancing, I break an ankle. I might have a heart attack, actually. I'm so out of shape. I'm a horrible person. <laughs> I'm not sure I even know Jesus. The voices in your head, they went out, right? Okay, tell me, everyone with their hand raised, how many of you have had these kind of thoughts? Raise your hand. Come on, leave them up. See, you ain't the only one. <laughs> Standing right here. Did you know sometimes I'm faking it until I make it? Like, no way. You just look like you're totally looking at Jesus. And you're all looking in the rafters like, does he see God actually up there? <laughs> I'm looking into the light so that it can make me cry. <laughs> so do you know why I took Isla through the house and did all those firsts? Because I maintain that at 32 years old, at 42 years old, at 92 years old, I'm going to be childlike in my response to everything. So I want to encourage you this morning by hitting you with a few punches, okay? Listen, I'm going to read something that I felt like the Lord gave to me for one chapel. I'm going to read it to you with a cornerstone of the idea that this is the truth in love for us. Okay? Can you go with me there? I want you to just think about these thoughts. Hallowed be your name. When you establish priority in your worship, you could care less about how loud the guy is behind you. When you establish priority in your worship, you'll settle that everyone has petty and paralyzing thoughts and you are not the only one. Hallowed be your name. When you establish priority in your worship, you'll remember to accept grace at the door and to forget about what other people think of you. You will aim to please only God. Hallowed be your name. When you establish priority in your worship, you won't show up late to service. You'll come early anticipating his presence week in and week out. Listen, I'm not going to twist your arm and make you feel like this is about me, the worship leader, asking you to come here on time. What I believe about One Chapel is that if the future of our worship is brighter than it is now, we need to be here to worship God together. Okay, so listen, you're going, oh, man, this is so condemning. It's, it's coming at me. I, I can't even get my family out the door to save my life, to go anywhere. Is it true or is it about priority for us? We're here at 7.30. Y'all can come super early and help us set up. That'd be really nice. That's not the point, though. The point is for us to understand that when we make worshiping God a priority, we realize that spending time with him allows us to understand his will for our lives. We begin to mimic him. All those battles that are going on in your mind, I promise you, you'll experience less of them if you come here without the rush, Right? Without the hustle of, oh, man, that was so frustrating. And I was yelling at my wife on the way here. Now i got to worship? 
What am I going to do with that? Sorry, babe. I'm so sorry about that. I'm trying to praise Jesus now. Forgive me? It's complicated. So I'm not done. When you establish priority in your worship, you'll make it something you practice. Not just here, but at home, in your car, at work. You'll cultivate your prayer life and your expression of worship. You'll be less self-absorbed by your problems, less offended by the volume of the sound system, less opinionated about the song selection, less annoyed by those behind you, less impressed with the people in front of you, and so on and so on and so on. Hallowed be your name. This is what this is in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, the one we belong to, hallowed, respected, honored be your name. I make you bigger in my vision and me smaller so that I can get past all myself and focus on you. Daddy, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to read a few verses here. I'm going to close with this. It's three practical ways that we can begin to make a kind of a spiritual checklist for the way we prepare ourselves to be in his presence. And the three things are found here in Colossians 3. It says in verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above. Everyone say hearts. And then verse 2 says, set your minds. Everyone say minds. And in the King James Version, it actually translates that one as affections. Everyone say affections. So set your minds or your affections on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There it is again. In God. The strong tower. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. There it is. We are heirs with Christ. So here are these three areas. Your heart, your mind, and your affections. This is a checklist for us all. To begin to examine our hearts. So here's how we're going to close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And I want you to put your notes down. And I want you to kind of start to self-evaluate a little bit. I'm going to ask you some questions about your heart. I'm going to ask you some questions about your mind, about your affections. And I want you just to examine your life. About your heart. This is where it all begins, isn't it? Just do some self-examination. How's your heart? Is it full of complicated stuff? Is it empty? Is it hurt? Wherever it is, if the future of our worship is going to be greater than our past and our present, we need to get our hearts set on things above. Does he own your heart? It goes back to identity. Our father in heaven. Some of you in this room, you can't even say that he's your father in heaven. You don't know Jesus. You might be here this morning and you want to accept Christ for the first time. You want to accept him as Lord and Savior. In a moment, we're going to try to help you take that step. Number two, your mind. Listen to this phrase. If you don't think straight, you won't think straight. It's a concept that's kind of staggering to us, but 
The mind can get cluttered so quickly. It only makes you human. Here's a couple of questions for you to consider. Who wins the battle when your mind inherently wanders? Do you give up or fight back? Are you daily renewing your mind? Are you daily renewing your mind? Keep your eyes closed, but in Romans 12, it tells us how to renew our minds. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's your heart, your mind. How about your affections? Who gets your affections? Who gets your attention? What gets your attention? Are you a hobbyist? I'll bet whatever get your, gets your affections, I'll bet you practice that thing. We need to begin to practice the presence of God. Is your relationship with God growing or has it stalled out somewhere along the way? Do you need him to restore the joy of his salvation in your life? Listen to this definition. Worship is our response to God's love, period. And I believe that that response should be a loud one. Who has your affections? Can you take that next step in your worship when we come together? Practice it at home. Get excited about God. Excited about that relationship with again. In my relationship with Casey, if we go to the ocean shore, if we go to the to sea and we look out at the abyss that's out there, I can't help but just shout into the middle of nowhere, I love this woman with all my heart. And she tears up, obviously, and, and there's this affection that happens with us. And I'd encourage us to go there with God. Maybe it would sound like this, hallowed be your name, O God. I honor you. I respect you. I hold nothing back. Don't apologize for it. Draw close to God with your affections. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. As you've checked your heart and your mind and you've checked your affections, if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior this morning, or maybe you need to invite him in again, you need to renew your commitment to him, I want you to raise your hand. All over the room, just raise your hand. We just want to pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, he's knocking. He's talking to you. He wants you to recommit, to start over. I see that hand. And so, Lord, for these people, we pray. We pray that your will will be done. Father, I ask that you would begin to to speak to them, Jesus, that they would accept you, that more than that, they would surrender to you, to your will, to your perfect plan. They would acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. And then this morning, I pray, Father, that if they made that decision, that they'd come at the end of the service and find one of these prayer team members and, and let them know, let them know the decision they're making so that we can help them along the way. And the last question that I want to ask is just to everyone in the room, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I just want you to take a moment and tell God what your plan is, how you're going to move forward in your worship. Maybe you need to just wipe the slate clean. You need to say, okay, I realize now I'm not the only one. You're going to start showing up. I'm going to start being here. I'm going to start paying attention to the way I engage with God. You just make your own commitment.
So, Father, I pray for us all. I ask that we would see you do a marvelous work in our lives, in our families, and here in this body. In Jesus' name, amen.